EOMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Hi, this is Ken Nagel. This is Patrick Chapin. Hi, this is Evan Irwin. And you're listening to EOMTG Taps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 40 of EOMTG Taps. I'm Joey Pasco. This week, I'm joined by QuietSpeculation.com's Kelly Reed, who gives us his opinions on Scars of Mirrodin just in time for its release. After that, Big Head Joe and Adam Staborski share their stories from the Scars of Mirrodin pre-release events this past weekend. Enjoy! All right, on the line we have Kelly Reed of QuietSpeculation.com. How's it going, Kelly? Very well, thanks. How about you, man? Pretty good. Um, I think we're going we're gonna to talk about some Scars of Mirrodin, which uh, even, uh, even Joe and I haven't really gotten too deep into talking about Scars of Mirrodin. Um, we've talked about like, you know, the, the big mythics and then a handful of other cards. Definitely interested to hear what you have to say about some of the cards. Um, I uh, I did read your article recently about some of your uh, picks for like the underrated rares, like sleeper rares, and I know you mentioned um, yeah. like necrotic that, ooze. That and, so I, I guess, love necrotic ooze. Uh, secret that I love that card. Um, I pre-ordered a few of them, and it's just it's my kind of card. You know, it's not an expensive card right now. And as anyone who knows me knows, I don't really play the whole like, oh my god, look at that cool mythic game. You know, that's like it's one of the behaviors I try to dissociate myself from. Because it's a sucker bet, and um, you know, I don't, I'll probably piss off a lot of people by saying this, but like, don't waste your money pre-ordering mythics because the odds that they're all going to stay at that very lofty price—it's real low. Whereas with some of the low-end rares, you only need one or two of those to hit, and you know, you're you're in the ball game. Right. I I have to say, like, that is probably the one of the the most important things that I've learned from you over the past year and a half since I've known you, you know, through the internet and everything and been reading, uh, you know, quiet speculation and, and your articles in various places is that, uh, and it just makes sense, but it's something I never really thought about was, you know, these high dollar cards have more potential to drop than to, than to increase in price. And I was one of those people who would be like, wow, this card looks amazing, and I would just pre-order it, and then I'd be disappointed when, you know, Meddling Mage, for example, didn't hold its value at $12 or $11 that I bought it for. And I think that's really important. I think especially with a set like Scars of Mirrodin, where these mythics just came out of the gate at $30. And, uh, yeah. And then just... And now they're selling for 50 That's absurd. Right. That's yeah. crazy. It just doesn't make sense, and, and this is actually one of the first times that, that I can remember in um, in Ben Blyweiss's financial uh, review of Scars of Mirrodin that he does for every set. He even looked at um, you know Koth and Elspeth and Mox as all either staying or dropping in price rather than increasing. Do you think Benzer's going to stay? He thinks Venture is going to drop to, I think, about 30, I think was his, his estimation. Um, yes. Cough about 40, and I think he said uh, the mocks would stay at 40. Ben's got a pretty good track record, um, and I always listen when he talks. So I'm 
I think he and I are kind of on the same page about this one. Um, I think of the Planeswalkers, Koth definitely has the most potential. I mean, I know I just slammed a playset into my new copy of Valakut camp, not even looking back. I mean, the card is that good that I want four in that deck. Whereas Elspeth and Venser fail the are you a full converted mana cost Planeswalker test. They're not. So, like, yeah, Elspeth's really good, and I think she's better than Venser. But to me, Venser seems... Like, for five mana, I'd really like a better set of abilities. Now, I'm not saying Venser's bad, all right? And I know Magic players love to bandy about, oh, that card's good, that card's bad. But I just don't think Venser commands five mana and $50. I think Venser would be worth $50 if it was four mana, because then you've got a four mana falter effect for aggro decks. I, his ultimate isn't even that good. Like, I, I, I stole somebody's Venser during the pre-release uh, in the game. I mean, actually steal it. Right, right. Uh, I volition <laughs> range. Volition range, he was, right. Yeah, he, I had been poking away at it, poking away at it, like, it was just wrecking me, because he could just keep um, exiling various ETB effect creatures to, like, gain life or, like, ping something or God knows what. So I keep him off ultimate for a million turns, and then I just Volition Reigns it, and now I have it. I'm like, oh, okay, now what the hell do I do? Right. I don't need my creatures blockable. I don't really want to, like, I, I, the best I could do is give something Vigilance. And then when I went for his ultimate, I was like, wait a minute. It's like turn a million. I'm not casting any spells anymore. So I just don't see what deck he goes into. I mean, yes, there's the whole, like, uh, blue, white, mid-rangey, let's play slightly over-costed creatures and hope to draw a Venser deck, but you can tell by the way I'm talking about the deck that I think it's pretty unfavorable to play. Right. I just don't see Venser having a home in this format. I mean, he's probably great, and I'm probably an idiot for saying he's bad, but I think he's the worst of the three, and it's not even close. At least Elspeth goes, hi, I'm going to blow up the world next turn. I Koth 100% goes, agree, Koth yeah. Just, yeah. Koth, you stick Koth, and it's like, you're probably just dead, because if you kill Koth, it's like, okay, I'll just untap and play a real threat again. And if you don't, it's like, hey, look, I'm going to make a million mana and all my mountains are going to kill you in some fashion. By the way, is like, is Fire Barrage a constructed playable card? Now? I just want to run that out there. That's a five mana do a million with Primal Titan and um, and uh, Haro and all of that. Like, you, you just send somebody to the moon with that card for like 12. Yeah, I mean, if you're building a deck around Koth, Spire Barrage should definitely be on yeah. your list to consider. Consider, you know, just taking into account the fact that you're probably playing a good about good amount of mountains. Um, yeah, something around like thirteen. So, and it's not unlikely to see ten of them, because yeah. remember, like you're gonna have to deal with crap like Tunnel Ignis and um, what's it called, Leon and Arbiter. By the way, like, everyone kept talking about, like, hey, something about they're going crazy with the naming on Tunnel Ignis, and I didn't get it. I didn't <laughs> get the joke until, no, until I heard somebody around here with kind of like a southern accent ask about the card, and I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. When I noticed it was somebody, somebody tweeted, like, you know, referencing the fact that it sounded like something else, and then I went, yeah. oh, yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah, but, uh, and um, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's probably for the best, because you either A, have the revelation, or B... You're too young. Really should, yeah, or B, <laughs> we'll tell you when you're older. Um, right. And moving right along, I think that card's pretty good, actually. Uh, it's going to end up in a whole host of decks where it doesn't belong, but that's probably okay, because it's still good. Yeah. 
I really think it just belongs on the sideboard, though, as compared to a card like um, Lean and Arbiter. If that's the the one that lets you not shuffle library or uh, search libraries, yeah. that card's real good. That card is fun. I really want to be playing with that card uh, as much as possible in a uh, mono-white equipment deck because it's a good body. It's um, It completely shuts down Fauna Shaman. It completely shuts down Valakut Ram until they find the bolt. Um, I think for two mana, that's one of the most powerful effects in this metagame. It's interesting that you mentioned putting Leon and Arbiter in an equipment deck because I think the most obvious uh, inclusion in that in a, in a white equipment deck is uh, Stoneforge Mystic, which obviously wants to search the library. So uh, you kind of are hurting yourself if you uh, if you have the Arbiter out, and then then you kind of don't want to play the the Stoneforge Mystic. Well, the problem with that is like, okay, you don't don't be a schmuck and run it out there when you've got a Mystic in your hand. Run the Mystic out first. Right. But against decks like Valakut combo, like, I'm calling all these Primeval decks and and Valakut decks and Koth decks, these are all Valakut decks, because they're all going to play Titan, they're all going to play Hara, they're all going to play Valakut. You know, Leon Arbiter is how you beat them, I'm pretty sure. Because you play that, you hope they don't have the Bolt. If they have the Bolt, you proceed as normal with your stone forges and your Argentum armors, and you hope you can get the Argentum armor off to start acing their Valakuts. However, if you can't get the Arbiter's stick, whatever. If you do, you win, because they can't combo off. Well, so I think what you need it for is just like a body to hold some equipment and buy you turns against Valakut. I don't think it's main deckable. See, I, I kind of look at it, and I think it's great. I, I kind of wish it just said players can't search libraries, and not the uh, any player may pay two for that player to ignore this effect until end of turn. Because then it just becomes, like, I think in certain decks, of course it's an annoyance, but that's almost it. So if they really need to search for something, they'll just pay the two. Um, so, it, I, I mean, I, it's definitely good. What's appealing to me is that it comes out, in all cases, before Valakut Ram can cast Haro. And that's the big spell that they use. Like, right. Stopping Haro is... The fact is, they can't Haro until turn 5. And that's probably all you need, because if you neuter them for 2 turns, over those 2 turns, you can be smacking down for a lot of damage. You might, excuse me, find a second lean and Arbiter to postpone the inevitable. Or you might just draw out the Bolt. Of course, you are playing Brave the Elements in a white deck. So by the time they find the Bolt, they may not even be able to kill it. Right. The point is, it's not supposed to lock anyone down. It's just supposed to be like a sphere effect. Think of it that way, because that's really all it is. Right. Um, if your deck is valid, all your spells cost two more. Like, Primeval Titan now costs eight mana to do anything. That's yeah. insane. So, actually, speaking of Primeval Titan, what do you think? Do you think his uh, his value takes a hit because of cards like, like this um, being in the format? The Ignis doesn't scale. The Ignis is not very scary to me because you can take a few damage, you don't have to pay mana, it doesn't mess up your curve. But the Arbiter genuinely concerns me about the Valakut deck. Mm-hmm. Then again, you know, it's a red deck. It can find ways to wax a 2-2 creature. I, I think Primeval Titan's value is safe for now, especially with Koth coming out. I mean, it got a lot of help. Because you can always just go the Koth and kill you plan. Because just start throwing 4-4 mountains at him until they die. Right. Um, uh, if you remember a long while ago, I did a podcast with Mike Flores, mm-hmm. who talked about virtual mana to 
grossly undersimplify what we discussed that night. Um, but if you look at what the five, uh, five Titans do, which Titan, assuming it just dies the second it hits the board, leaves behind the biggest uh, mess? I mean, Inferno Titan bolts something, whatever. Right. Frost Titan slowing down for a turn. Again, really contingent on staying on the board. Yeah. Um, Sun Titan brings back a three drop or less, which is, that's a pretty good ability. Uh, especially if you, since once you recur it, it starts getting scary. Yeah. Um, Grave Titan leaves behind a couple bears. Right. Yeah, it's bear. I'm not, I'm, I love me some bears, but not on turn six for six mana. <laughs> Primeval Titan, two lands of any type. So it's fixing your mana. It's accelerating you two more turns. Um, I don't know. To me, like two lands and, or a three drop, that seems like the kind of thing I'd want to be leaving behind. I think Sun Titan is almost a mandatory two of in any aggressive deck that runs white cards. And that's one of the the cards that I think goes hand in hand with Venser. Um, back to what we were saying about Venser, he he does seem like the weakest of the uh, of the Planeswalkers, but at the same time, I think if you build around him, he has potential to be the most ridiculous. Um, I just sketched out a deck that basically was it was kind of a next level Bant shell kind of thing, except cutting green, so it's just okay. just blue white, and it's got like you know everything in it has some sort of synergy for uh, you know being uh, being blinked by Venser, basically. Obviously, Sun Titan. Um, it had, like, Tumble Magnet in it, which, you know, I can reset with Venser, things like that. And um, Is it any permanent? Yeah, it's any permanent you control. So Don't uh, forget, you can um, round Journey to Nowhere that way, too. Yeah, and that was another card that was in the deck, because, you know, you can you don't... You don't feel so bad playing Journey to Nowhere on something like a three drop or something, and then you can move it once Venser comes into play. Um, but they literally just out there on the first creature they play, and then they play a real threat. Oh, I guess it's going to go over there. Exactly, and um, and then the other thing. I mean, it's got Walls of Omens, or uh, yeah, and Seagate Oracle, yeah. and I mean, this was just a rough sketch. I didn't actually play with it, but it was so much. With synergy, also with a lot of things that cost three or less. So when I'm starting to blink the Sun Titan, all these things keep coming back, and and then also filling my hand why so that I have a hand. Titan? What's that? Why blink the Titan when you beat with it? You know. Well, of course, but I mean, you play him on. You know, the turn you play him, you get something back. Then blink him with Venser, and you still have him sitting there. And then the next turn, you swing with him. Uh, you get something back. Blink him again with Venser if you want. Get something else back. And the, all the yeah. while, with with things like um, with Wall of Omens and Seagate Oracle, they're also getting you a card into your hand, to so that when you want to use Venser's ultimate, you have a handful of spells that you can just start exiling like things. So I mean, that's I like totally built around Venser, um, and, and that kind of thing. That's where I, I think he's strong. What's that? Yeah, you run the four, you run the four of. And you just every card in your deck needs to get you to the late game, draw you cards, shove block, die, blink with Venser, come back with Sun Titan. Exactly. Um, I, I like the concept. I especially like the idea of moving around Journey nowhere. One card I did want to suggest, um, and this might be the right deck for this interaction, mm-hmm. is uh, considering using uh, Aether Tradewinds as a tempo card. I love that card. Yeah, to remind you, re- listeners, because you're like you probably haven't played with this card since uh, Zen Worldwide draft. It's U two instant return target permanent. 
you control and target permanent your opponent controls to, to each other's hands or whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure if it can bounce to permanent you control. I don't think it can. But with, um, I, I did this interaction a lot with O-Ring. You can uh, journey something with the uh, remover on the stack. You bounce it in one of their guys with Aether Trade ones. And then the remove trigger resolves, and the creature's gone forever. Exactly. So this way, you, you can be their guys and your wall of omens to draw a card. You can, like, save your guys or, like, save events so that's going to get targeted by whatever. Um, it gets you tempo, and it keeps you uh, and it keeps you casting spells for Vencer's Ultimate if you ever get it off. So I don't know if there's room for it, but it's just one of those cards where if there's a deck where it's going to be really good, it's this one. Yeah, I totally agree, and and I love that interaction. I just I never did end up playing with it. I think I had it as a one of in a blue white control list at one point, but I I think I just never drew it, and then I ended up cutting it for something else. But it, it's it's a really neat card, and this kind of deck, you're right, is uh is a perfect spot for it, and you know if there's room. But that's the kind of thing for Venser. Like he's he's kind of he's not just obviously strong by himself. He needs the deck to work with him. And uh, that's, I mean, you could say the same thing about Koth, although the thing with Koth is that it's really, like, he he's really good with a bunch of mountains, and anybody who just wants to play mono red, they've got way more options than somebody who wants to build around Venser. And, and then again, obviously, Elspeth, who we haven't talked about yet, she's pretty obviously powerful on her own as well. Just being able to drop down and, and give you a, uh, you know, give you three guys. That's that's good right there. Yep. Um, I think her best deck is um, in extended. By the way, I she's fine in standard, but I'm pretty sure her best deck is in extended black white tokens. Yeah, it's a deck no one's really talking about right now. And hearkening back to um, like after or not after around Pro Tour Kyoto and afterwards, Black-White Tokens was one of the best decks in the format. Zealous Persecution is incredibly powerful. Um, you had, like, Gaia's Anthem and stuff, although we'll be losing that. Not Gaia's Anthem, but you know what I mean. Uh, uh, glorious Anthem. <laughs> thank you, Glorious. Yeah. Uh, Honor of the Pure isn't quite the same because it doesn't make your Mutavault... Um, Mutavault, my goodness. Bitter Blossom Tokens bigger. Um, but at the same time... I think that the deck might cut a few Cloud Goat Rangers for a few copies of Elspeth T. Mm-hmm. Uh, because cranking out three one ones, then getting a bunch of life, cranking out a bunch of one ones, and getting a bunch of life, all the while you can, you know, she's safe from harm because you're defending her with infinite tokens. That sounds like a pretty decent game plan, but yeah. then you factor in the ability. For her to just slap down, gain you a bunch of life, put you out of race range, and then reset the board except for what amounts to your guys, that yeah. seems extreme for me. Extremely good. Yeah, I mean, Ajani Goldman seemed like it fit that strategy perfectly, but she she slots right in there as well. Yeah, I don't think you. I think you play both. Yeah, for what it's worth. They're not on the same. Because then makes slot on the curve either. So I like her a lot, but uh, I don't think she's. Um, too important for standard yet. Although I, uh, I don't know. I've been brewing a lot of crazy decks lately. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see, like, when I'm building my sealed pools in the or draft pools in this format, I discovered something that really helped me start building my first scars constructed decks. I actually like to separate out 
all the cards in my deck that in any way, shape, or form care about artifacts and just start with those. Hmm. Because by and large, you need to figure out if your deck cares about artifacts or doesn't. Because if your deck cares about artifacts, you have very different deck-building values than if your deck does not. For example, um, I was playing a deck with no infect creatures, no poison, no proliferate, nothing. It was blue and white. And I was having a hard time making cuts and playing the right cards. And I had an abundance of playables in my draft deck, because it was a pretty good draft. Eventually, I settled on two copies of the, um, I think it's called like Corpse Curve, the 2-2 Infect for 4 artifact creature mm-hmm. that, re- that Grave Diggers another infect creature. I was really low on artifacts, and most of my best cards wanted me to play them. So while they weren't the best creatures I could have played, like I cut a Kemba Skyguard for one, which I never think is right, but in this case, I, mean, I guess it was, because I 3 0 the draft. Um, I just needed the artifact count, so... I think the first thing you do when you start your uh, Scars and Mirrodin decks is you ask yourself, is you set your cards into piles, does this card care about artifacts? Now, that could be equipment, it could be metalcraft, it could just... Anything that, that, that implies that you need artifacts, that's your first consideration, that decision tree. Because if, you, if your deck cares about artifacts, then Mox Opal is in the discussion. And, like, you got to think about playing cards like Trinket Mage. Um... If your deck doesn't care about artifacts, it's really important not to, like, dabble. Don't, like, kind of do the artifact thing, because you're going to get rocked. You're going to get, like, one of your best artifacts killed, because there's ample removal for them, and you're going to get rocked, because none of your metalcraft guys will ever be any good. You've got to either go all in on the artifact thing, or not at all. Right, yeah, I mean, if you're... I I think that goes for almost any strategy ever in Magic. I I know that was one thing that um, I would tell... Big Head Joe, like, he, when he was building a deck, he'd be like, yeah, it's like a, a, you know, really fast, but then it also ramps up to these late spells, and I'm like, well, you, you're you losing because you're doing two different two different strategies in your deck. Pick one, you know, right. things like that. And I think in the past, like, a few years, he's obviously, um, he's made a lot of, he's, he's changed his deck building perspective to uh, to do that kind of thing. And, and it, that's just, you know, the artifact... Uh, or non-artifact strategy, it's just kind of a, a microcosm or not, yeah. another example of that. Um, I always... Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, I was just going to say, speaking of, uh, or just talking about decks coming up for the rotation, the one that I'm um, really kind of keen to try out is uh, is some sort of new, new, new version of, like, Dredgevine, or just blue-white, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, blue-green... With with venge vines and uh, and some artifacts and uh, trinket mage to grab mem knight which will trigger venge vines um, a- enough enough artifacts so that you can get the uh, the metal craft off of um, Kuldatha phoenix yes. which I think is mm. just ridiculous because I-, I mean it's it's obviously I look at it and I'm like well it's red and it's the most obvious thing about it um, <laughs> but what? just di- getting into the graveyard going. Uh, you know, going with grind clock and things like that, and and obviously hedron crab and uh, tome scour, all these I, options. I don't. I'm having a really hard time building my build of dredge vine. Yeah. Um, I have one version of mine, and by the way, this is a cool new thing I'm doing. Um, I discovered this website. I'm in no way affiliated with it. I just happen to really like what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Tapped Out. Tappedout.net. Uh-huh. It's like a deck builder, and it lets you goldfish decks, and it's really good 
it's very web 2.0 um but anyway my name on there i believe is just kelly reed so you can see all the decks i've brewed that i've made public and you know there's no problem they're good but if you look at what i've built you can see some cool decks now one of them is a dredgevine deck and i actually opted out of the cool dotha phoenix route in this deck because i felt like i was playing too many subpar artifacts to try to get him and Riddlesmith into my deck. Now, don't get me wrong. Riddlesmith is insane, and he deserves his own deck. But I think there's a legitimate version of uh, Dredgevine now that doesn't uh, run the cool Dotha Phoenix, even though I really like the card. What I'm doing is I'm doing the Renegade Doppelganger Father Shaman Necrotic Ooze thing. Yeah, and you mentioned that in your article, um, Overall Mana Nation. I, I, I like that, too. That was another thing I'm kind of... I really like the Phoenix, and that's... Uh... That's something that was very attractive to me that when you mentioned that. Yeah. The problem with the Phoenix is I'm having a hard time figuring out, A, how many artifacts do I need in my deck to make him good? Like, you need three in play. Trinket Mage helps. But I think, like, what you might even consider is using the Fauna Shaman package to support that. Like, use the Fauna Shaman to get the Trinket Mage that gets the Mem Knight. That's all, they're all one-ofs. Right. Remember, the deck does not need staying power. The deck can slam you for, like, 20-plus damage on turns three or four. Uh, Renegade Doppelganger, in my opinion, is the key to these decks. So, once again, I find myself on the Yo! MTG podcast hawking Renegade Doppelgangers. <laughs> but every time I say it, it seems to be correct. Like, hey, they're cheap on MTGO again. They're, like, sub. They're like three or four for a dollar. Okay, time to get them. Time to buy Renegade Doppelganger again. We'll do this dance. I'll keep making money off of it, and so will you. Yeah, you no, know, I made good last time. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, that it's perfect with. I mean, obviously Dredgevine, and I mean, it's just perfect with with Doppel, uh, Vengevine and um, and Kuldatha Phoenix. Just haste creatures. That's the that's the thing with Doppelganger. Any creature with yeah. haste is just. That, I really love playing one on turn two with a Fauna Shaman in my hand, because I know I'm going to get to activate that Fauna Shaman once, no matter what. Right. And I slide another Shaman, tutor up the Necrotic Ooze for turn four, we're good to go. Yeah. I'd like to find a way to cheat on mana in the Dredgevine deck a little bit, um, and nothing's really come up. I mean, I could run Chalice, I guess, but the curve is so tight, I don't know if Chalice will work. Um Right, and it sounds like you're playing you're playing green uh, three colors, right? Uh, black, blue, sort of. green, right? Because you've you've got Vengevine, Fauna Shaman, Renegade, Doppelganger, Necrotic Ooze. Loosely, I mean, your green cards. You use green mana only to cast Fauna Shaman and activate Fauna Shaman, mm-hmm. and um, because the rest of your deck is basically base blue black, uh, you've got fetch lands to support your green habit. Right. Okay. So you're not really a green deck. You're really a blue deck with some black cards and a splash of green. Like, you're never hard-casting Vengevine unless you're really, really down in the dumps. I mean, between the Looter and the Crabs and the Fauna Shamans, you're going to find a way to dump your stuff into the graveyard. One of the things I did with the deck is I threw in a few toolbox creatures that are just great with uh, Necrotic Ooze. For example, Vengeful Archon, it <laughs> just seems like really mean. <laughs> um, Pestilence Demon, everyone everyone thought that was not going to be a very good inclusion, but I think it's going to be pretty solid because A, you just get free, you just got like free Pyroclasm every turn. Because remember, your Necrotic Ooze is still an X3. Yeah. 
I mean, hey, you know, BB, pyroclasm every turn. But you can also just, like, kill people with it, direct damage style. Yeah. Uh, Gigantomancer to make all your Hedron Crabs and Doppelgangers into 7-7s. Seven yeah, it seems or pretty fun. The problem is I'm not even sure, like, the Necrotic Ooze package is necessary. The more I play with the deck, the more just, like, Vengevine, Doppelganger, Fauna Shaman gets you there. Most games. However, I've been hearing people testing the list who are saying, like, yeah, I kind of went off, and I kind of hit him to, like, you know, eight with some Vengevines, and I petered out. Then I topped it from the Necrotic Ooze, gave it haste because Scytherix was in the yard, Gigantomancer it into a 7-7, seven, seven, and he was dead. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, and then you can, you know, you can, if you really want to be, um... Min maxi about it. You can cut the cutesy Vengeful Archon and the Pestilence Demon, and only play cards you can tutor up and cast, or dump into the yard. Like Skitherix is still deadly, the Flying Dragon. Yeah, and he gives uh, Necrotic Ooze tons of abilities. So you can play Grim Discovery to um, dump stuff and bring it back. Recur your Vengevines, or not recur your Vengevines. Um, recur Doppelgangers or Fauna Shamans. There's just so many ways to interact with the graveyard. And my biggest fear is, well, once this deck gets popular, not if, when, mm-hmm. well, you've got Leyline of the Void and Bojukabog to deal with. And then there's a new spell bomb that yeah. leaves the graveyard, too. So I'm, I'm starting to question the uh, wisdom of uh, my old friend Braids. Like, is a grave really the best place to store ill-gotten treasure, you know? <laughs> like, maybe not. Like, maybe we should just stick to Titan ramping. Here's a legitimate resource at this point in the game. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, Joe and I said it in a, in a couple episodes ago that people should really be almost, it's almost, you could make a case for main decking something like uh, Bajuka Bog or, you know, some sort of answer to the graveyard. Um, yeah, even worse if you're playing a black deck than to run a pair of Bajuka Bog's main deck. Yeah, I mean, worse that's just easy, yeah. It's just almost obvious. But even play, not playing a black deck, uh, just being able to... Well, Relic of Progenitus was our answer, but now it's the new spell bomb, uh, which you may or may not be able to draw a card off of, but at least it's an answer to the graveyard. Yeah. There's just plenty of ways to interact with the graveyard, both uh, pro and con, that it, uh, it gives the game a robust feeling. Now, uh, speaking of stuff coming out of the or, or, or graveyard as a resource, um, what do you think of Molten Tail Masticor? I have a hard time evaluating that card without playing with it. Yeah, um, I'm like I don't really consider myself to be really good at like seeing all the angles of a card until I play with it. I mean, I know guys like Chapin can just see into the future. I've got to be a little more hands on, but I feel like once I get my hands on the card, I can usually get the scope of it. So this is the caveat that I have not played with the card yet. Um, it's, you know, it's a 4-4 four, 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 four. It's an artifact creature. Um, it's very different than the original Masticore. So the comparisons, like, I don't know. I don't like to compare cards unless they're really, truly, functionally similar. And I think people will get caught up in the flavor. Like, if you forget that it's a Masticore, and what if it's like, okay... Molten, cute, cuddly kitten or something. Yeah. So stop comparing to Mastercore. Um, now, you've got the standard discard a card during your upkeep thing. Um, the, the, the good part, I guess, is if you're going to be taking the, the hit of the discard, you're probably going to be able to kill something because you untap, you discard, and then you should be able to shoot something at that turn. 
And it goes to the dome, which the original Master Core did not, which I like a lot. So it can beat down. Like, if left unchecked, it'll win you the game immediately. Because you beat down, hit for four more, that's a lot of damage. But at the same time, it's just a 4-4. It does just die. I mean, you got to keep up mana to regenerate it. And I think the thing I like about original Master Core is you could regenerate it and use it once in the same turn. So, like, yeah, maybe you're not blowing away giant creatures, but you're picking off, like, their mana dorks, their utility guys, you know. Right. Like, Old Town Master Core is good for bringing down the big game. It's Four damage is a lot to do to a creature every single turn. So my inclination is as long as you have a way to keep feeding it and keep protecting it inexpensively, it's fine. What deck uses it, I have no idea. Yes, yeah. I've literally no idea. Yeah, and Maybe Dredgewire. Right, that, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like uh, To me, like that's the thing when people people do want to compare it to the original Masticore, but the original Masticore could go in a control deck as the only creature and sit there and clear the weenies out of the way and, you know, be the win condition. Um, but this one, you know, you can't throw it in blue-white control because he's never going to have any fuel. He's going to be a 4-4 four, right. four with card disadvantage, you know? <laughs> like, you're just going to be sitting there yeah. discarding your, you know, extra lands or counter spells or whatever, and he's never going to be able to do his... I was never sitting there with, like, five-color cruel control going, Man, I wish I had fewer lands, fewer counter spells, <laughs> and a 4-4 four, four right now. Exactly. Boy, like my four fours came in two packs. Like <laughs> I got value packed dragons. Come on, man. Right. Yeah. So he he's he's already like a, a whole subset of decks that are creature light or you know just just not creature heavy that already don't really want a four four for four with a with a card disadvantage kind of upkeep cost because they may not be able to even use the best aspect of the card, which is obviously the, uh, you know, the four damage. The only aspect of the card that matters, in my book. I think it's a one-up in Dredgevine if you're playing Necroticus. Yeah, I, I can see that. I could even see running more of it in a deck like, uh, you know, that, that does run a, a lot of creatures. He's obviously, he's, he's like Venster in a way, in that if you build your deck to take advantage of him, you've, you know, you're just sitting there with a ton of creatures in your graveyard... Um, then then that's great. Like that's going to work out perfectly. And like you said, with necrotic ooze, uh, he he seems to work pretty well because you're going to have a ton of creatures in your graveyard, and you're going to have necrotic ooze to, you know, to copy him if you want. Um, if he's in your There's graveyard, no drawback. you just discard him or mill him away, or you tutor him up and then discard him. Mm -hmm. And uh, your necrotic ooze now has all the best parts of molten tail master core minus the toughness minus the worst drawback of the card. Right. I mean, your guy, he now regenerates, and he can now turn all those Hedron Crabs you milled out into uh, Flame Javelins. And uh, I mean, that, to me, like, that's my most, that's what I'm most inclined to do with him. But I'm sure there's a deck that runs four of him, and, like, I don't know, though. It's just so much mana to do the first relevant thing with him, because he's a 4-4, four -four, and you're not going to risk him in combat, because you don't have regeneration mana up, like... Uh, Dredgevine seems like the deck, because you can probably play two or three of them and start hardcasting them late game. Yeah. Well, it's so, kind of also like the, uh, you know, the Vengevine lists that were around, like, GPDC, where it was all creatures and, like, a uh, a basilisk collar or something like that. Like, it's just oh, man. running, running just, 35 creatures or something. I just saw a really interesting interaction. I mean, 
this is not a fleshed out idea. This is literally me looking at the spoiler and my brain kicking in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying to play Grand Architect in like every deck possible lately mm-hmm. because I think that card is one of the best cards in the set. Um, forget the forget the first two abilities. Let's talk about the fact that all your blue creatures now are Mistress Workshops with haste. Yeah. Like, most people... So I, Everyone I've talked to, when I said this to them, they went, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Um, it doesn't... The creatures themselves don't have the tap ability. The Grand Architect has an ability whose cost is that you tap an untapped blue creature you control. So it, you know, like, uh, like the Heritage Druid combo in Extended... Grand Architect's ability effectively gives it haste. Because um, let's be honest, you're not really going to be beating down with a 1-3. Right. I really like it because you're tapping blue creatures for artifact mana. Now, I can think of a few blue creatures that are really inexpensive that I'd really like to tap for mana. And they're called Hedron Crab and Enclave Cryptologist and Renegade Doppelganger. <laughs> yeah. I'm seems, just seems saying. I'm just saying. There might be a deck here. Yeah, I think... Now, Play the cheats of mana in the Dredgevine deck, there'll be artifacts into it, and then maybe we cut the oozes in favor of like an architect package, look for a way to screw around with the artifact thing. And now Trinket Mage also taps for mana. Grand right. Architect is I think that card is broken. Yeah. I think I definitely think it's one of those cards that has the most potential to be ridiculous, uh, if the right the right things happen, the right cards are put alongside it. Um what do you think about the new dual lands? I love them. Yeah. I mean, they're great for I, aggro strategies. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not control cards. You don't play them in the control decks. You put the man lands in control decks. I mean, if you need a good framework for how to evaluate them in a pinch, now you should always just sit down and do the math yourself, but if you are playing a deck that has two different colored one-drops or some double-costed cards, or some double-color-costed cards, you need to be playing them. Uh, for example, Boros is the the pinnacle of a deck that would love a land like this, but didn't get one. Right. Yeah, they're the only... Uh, the lands are all ally colors, yeah. So. Correct. The more restrictive your mana requirements are in the early game, the more you want these. Right. How greedy does this let me make my mana base? Yeah. But even then, they're not the worst. Because when you draw them late, they, they feel terrible, but the odds that you'll need to cast them that turn are lower. So I think they may even be control playable. However, yeah. if you want to squeeze the most juice out of them, you throw them in a deck with, like, double white and, like, triple red and, you know, three drops that cost four mana. You know, outlandish stuff. And just be like, look what my mana base can do that yours can't. I have, like, enemy-colored fetches, ally-color, untapped duels, like, you know... They're definitely playable in in almost any deck, really. I mean, at worst, they just come into play tapped. They're dual lands that come into play tapped. There's nothing wrong with that, but they're strongest in an aggro strategy that's multiple colors because you're going to get those... You're, you're now way more likely to get those colors when you need them early in the game. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it seems like a infiltration lens, the uncommon that... Um, oh. Wow, that card's good. Yeah, it's. I mean, it seems a lot like Browbeat because it's like, okay, it, it's an equipment, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's an equipment that costs one and it equips for one. So, I mean, that's already, I, I just, I love that. It's just cheap. 
whenever equipped creature becomes blocked by a creature, you may draw two cards. So what it, it is is kind of like somebody decides whether they want to block your guy and give you two cards or just not block. And so it's got that same kind of... I feel like it's the same sort of thing like Browbeat. It's like, do you want to take you know, five damage or let them draw three cards? You know, puts them in a very similar situation. But uh, your opponent is in a situation where they have a lot of potential to misplay, but they can also just choose whichever one is better for them. You know, like, fine, I'll just take the damage. Or or whichever one is worse for you, I guess. If you're sitting there empty-handed, they might just decide, fine, I'll take your, you know, whatever damage. But it does... It presents an interesting interesting scenario. Here's what I want to think about that card, because I spent a lot of time. Anytime a card says, I cost one, and I draw two cards, I pay attention. Uh, here's how you want to think about this card. A, you've got to make it so that your deck's goal, number one, is to hit them, not draw cards. Yeah. For example, you want to put it, obviously... Your best target for it is Core Duelist. Uh, I forgot what Core Duelist does. <laughs> one drop, one one. When it's equipped, it gets double strike. Oh, okay. Okay. So you want to put it on something that cares about being equipped. Um, you want to put it in a deck that cares about how many artifacts you have and what kind they are, i.e. equipment. And you want to make it so that they're either taking an unreasonable amount of damage or getting absolutely punished for chump blocking. Yeah. That's what you need to do. Is you need to build your deck so that they're not pretty much to me. Infiltration lens says you want to punish them for chump blocking, not like you know, not like for ramming in for the last two damage. Although sometimes you're going to be barreling in for that, for that lethal too, and they're just going to have to keep blocking it, and you'll eventually break the stall because you'll have so many more cards. I think it's one of the most important cards for the equipment deck to run. I love that Stoneforge Mystic and Trinket Mage both go get the card. So uh, yeah. I'm not sure if Trinket Mage is more of like a, like a two of. Because when you start putting two of them on the board, it becomes a real liability. You can protect your guys very easily with Brave the Elements, or you can force them through with Brave the Elements. It's just you have so many options in an aggressive deck. And any way to make an aggro deck draw two cards, like it's a weird version of Skull Clamp. Yeah. So yeah, it triggers for each time the creature gets blocked. So if they're if they're thinking about double blocking to try to kill your guy, they're going to refill your hand. Yeah, um, I think we got time to talk about maybe one more card, and uh, I'll I'll throw it up to you between two that I was going to ask you about. Both mythic rares. I just I'm kind of curious what you think where they might go uh, price wise, deck wise, or price wise, or obviously both because they're kind of contingent upon one another. Um, worm coil engine or mox opal. It's a hard choice. I think Mox Opal only because Wormcoil Engine, there's not a lot to say. It's big, it beats down, and it's an artifact. Congratulations. It, it's, there, the, it's the artifact titan, I think. Yeah, that's what everyone says. Um, so let's talk about Mox Opal. Okay. There's going to be a lot of people who use this card wrong, and I'm willing to step up to the plate and say I'm going to be the first to use it wrong, but a lot of times... We're just going to need to... We've never really had a situation like this before. We've never had a card like this where it's uh, it's almost a metagame choice as to whether or not you wish to include it in your deck. Because how many Mox Opals your opponent plays dramatically changes how many Mox Opals you can play. That's that being point. said, decks that use Mox Opal are going to meet the following criteria. 
A, they do something with the extra mana. B, they care about artifacts, obviously because of the metal craft. Uh, and C, they have a way to make the Mox Opal useful when they draw a second one. And that's the key to me. Um, there are a lot of ways to sacrifice artifacts for fun and profit in this format. I will leave it up to the deck builders to decide which they prefer. I have my own particular preferences. Um, in extended, Thopter Foundry seems like a fine way to uh, dispose of a spare Mox. In extended, remember, we've got the artifacts slides of the Lara Block, Tezzeret the Seeker, things like that. Um, the best thing I can think of is... Mox Opal is like a, it's like a hybrid between like Chrome Mox and Lotus Petal. Like you you can't rely on having it. Like you can't be like a Storm deck that relies on having it. You know for that mana acceleration. Mm -hmm. But you can be a deck like um, I think it's really okay as long as your deck runs enough equipment to replace two lands in your deck with two opals. And you know it's a ballsy call, but like. I think the odds that your opponent's Opal screws with you is going to be pretty low. I don't think there's going to be a lot of decks that end up running it at the highest level of some, uh, tournament play. So I think that if your deck is uh, Artifacts landed, you can get a little extra advantage by running a two or three ofs. But I don't think it belongs in every deck. I don't think it's a $40 card, and it's definitely not going to end up as a four of in some decks. Like, it's not, it's not one of those cards where it's like you play four or you play zero. So it's, you know... It's overhyped because it's a mox. It's overpriced because it's a mox. But it's still very powerful. It's still a zero-drop artifact, and who cares what it does? It's a zero-drop artifact in the block that cares about artifacts. Right. And we're going to say nine times out of ten, it's going to make mana. Yeah, I think uh, I think you, you you hit the nail on the head, like saying what happens when you draw that second mox? Uh, can your deck do something with it? There's no thirst for knowledge in the format, so the best we've got is see beyond. Jace the Mind Sculptor Riddle. can can put it back. Riddle Smith. Riddle Smith is another another example. Um, you know, we have Enclave Cryptologist that can you know kind of you know do the looter thing too. But uh, it really it has a lot to do with that. Now, I mean, if you're the more people playing the mocks, you know, they play theirs, yours destroyed. Now you have your second one to play. Like that's great. I, I guess the more people playing it, the better you are the better off you are for having that extra mox. But, I mean, if it's a dead card in your deck, it's a dead card in your deck, and you really don't want that. It's really hard to decide, like, at what level you metagame against playing with them. I think if it becomes, like, the staple of, like, some sort of combo deck... Yeah. If, if, if you're playing against a deck that, that, that needs it, you can always use yours just like removal... To slow them down, right? It could be it could be suddenly like a it's it's the new Jace Bellerin, right? You you drop it down <laughs> on turn one because on your opponent's turn one they they they're playing Mox Opal too, and now you just you know eliminated their first Mox, even though yours uh -huh. isn't doing anything other than sitting there. It's you know a seal of Mox, I guess, right? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's a relevant. It's a relevant, although uncommon necessity. It's just one more way to consider how to use the card. So. Who knows? I am really interested to see what decks run it, and I am inclined to play it, of course, in more aggressive decks that will be able to get out cheap artifacts. You know, is there a deck with Memnite and Ornithopter that swings for damage? Maybe. And if so, I guarantee you Mox Opal is a 4 of that deck. So 
there's enough ways to abuse Mox Opal that it warrants like a twenty or twenty five dollar price tag. So I wouldn't be like investing in it or anything. It's too expensive right now. Mm-hmm. But just realize that there are decks that don't care what happens when you draw the second box opal. Sometimes the answer to what happens when you draw the second one is you lose because they're still alive. Right. It's got tons and tons of potential. The fact that it passed for any color mana and doesn't give you innate card disadvantage, it seems like I'm buying an awful lot of uh, time, you know, time-sensitive options with that box, and that's the kind of card I really like. So, uh, all right, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, tell us what's coming down the pipe for uh, Quiet Speculation. I will always be glad to. Um, we are, as you know, working on launching our premium service. Uh, it's actually, I use the word premium because that's what people are comfortable with. The uh, actual technical term is insider, uh, kind of like what ESPN does. And I've, you know, I've plugged this thing to Oblivion, so I'll keep it short. But basically, the idea is we've got a full rotation of really talented authors doing some groundbreaking work. I mean, uh, Chris McNutt does these charts and these spreadsheets that are so far and above anything I've seen on like the retail level of magic. Uh, and for Aaron Forsyth, apparently I am told, uh, met up with him at, uh, the Seattle pre-release and was just apparently dishing about how much he loves his spreadsheets. Uh, I, I don't know the exact words that took place. I wasn't there, but apparently, you know, people like what he does. Uh, I love what he does. He's uh, rewritten the entire way I do inventory in my store. So guys like him are revolutionizing the way uh, the average man thinks about magic cards. Um, we think about them as little equities, uh, you know, little shooting stars, things that could change in value overnight. And uh, his charts really help somebody like me pull together all the data in one place and make decisions. So it's a pretty reasonably priced service. We're starting at five bucks a month. That gets you five writers a week. We're going to be running some submissions, uh, like from the Twitter verse, from forums, people who send in articles. Those are going to be for the free articles, and that's sort of our uh, training grounds to uh, scout new talent. So if you think you're, you know, if you think you're uh, insider worthy from your writing, and you submit us some good articles, we'll definitely consider promoting you. Why we have to charge? Oh, I want to pay my writers. These guys are doing great work right now. They're all doing it, you know. You know, I have a love of the game. I have a love for what we do acquired speculation. But eventually, I want to start paying them a really good wage. Uh, on top of that, we have, you know, the site's grown so much that we actually have to pay a legitimately real amount for web hosting. Um, so basically, we just have a lot of expenses we need to cover to keep the site running. And in return, we're going to give you a crap load of content every day professional customer service, management, all of that good stuff, a forum, which is going to be basically a free upgrade for the first few people who sign up. And the cool thing about this forum is it's not just like, you know, your typical magic forum where any old fool can join and spat off a bunch of crap about how his new goblin deck is the best. We consider our forum a really, really vital tool for people who speculate, who buy, who sell, who are involved in the industry in any way beyond playing we will often discuss uh like ideas or tips or speculations that we don't necessarily want everyone to know about which is why some people might balk at the idea of hey why should i pay for a forum why should i pay extra for a forum just to give you an idea uh a site that our web guy uses it's uh, a search engine optimization forum where like industry leaders get together and discuss seo tactics 
which translates directly into money in your pocket, much like trading advice does. They charge like three hundred dollars to register for the forum. Um, now they didn't they didn't used to charge that much, but as they grew, you know the people who were paying very little in the beginning got grandfathered in, and that's how we're going to do quiet speculation. We have a, a feature list that I am not allowed to discuss publicly a mile long that if implemented, and it will be, will really change the way everyone thinks about magic cards. And as we keep tacking on the features, we're going to add newer membership levels. But listen, if you got it on the ground floor, if you're one of the first few people that like got it on it, we're going to just give you all the upgrades for free because we understand you're trusting us with your money, you're trusting us with your time, and not a lot of people can charge for magic content. So by saying that we're legit to do so, we want to reward your loyalty because we know in the long run that'll be the best five dollars you ever spent for that month because that'll get you all those free upgrades a year, two years, three years, God willing, down the line. I'm really excited for it. It's uh, grown beyond anything that I have possibly ever uh, considered it could have. I started it as a personal blog for no one else to read. I didn't expect anybody to read it. I just wanted to talk about the cards that I wanted to remember next week to speculate in. The fact that it's grown into a site with, you know, five digits of monthly readership, like, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been a reader for a long time. I don't even remember how I heard of it, but, I mean, it was definitely a, sometime around, you know, a year and a half ago. And um, I've just, just from your personal blog, you know, at that point and last year and everything building up to the point uh, that, it, you know, this huge thing that it's kind of become, uh, I've just learned a lot. <laughs> you know, just in that amount of time. And now that you've expanded to multiple authors and, you know, just all these sources of information, it's pretty exciting. And I'm excited to, uh, you know, I'm excited to read everything you've got on there now. And I'm excited to see what's coming up. There's so much stuff I wish I could tell people about, uh, but for, you know, for competitive reasons and, uh, for a little bit for the surprise reasons, I can't talk about it. Like there's, you know, potential for a couple of really big name authors to come aboard there's uh, some features that will make um, selling your cards to the right dealers much more profitable and much easier. And um, beyond that, I can't really discuss much else, but um, I'll try to keep teasing people on Twitter with as much as I'm allowed to say. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're being pretty legit about uh, hiding our best features under our hat, because let's be honest, like... Quiet speculation ain't a no-name site it used to be. There are people out there who read this site who would like to do what we do. So I don't particularly want to give away all the goods quite yet, but I am willing to say that there are crazy things happening. Sounds good. My parting thought of the week. Consider waiting a week or so before reading some set reviews. And I say this to you because... Not you, Joey, but you, the internet audience in your homes and cars and works. Consider waiting at least a week before you read someone else's set review. Make up your own ideas first, because there's no such thing as right and wrong in the game of Magic. There's only the best play and every other play. There's only the best card for the job and every other card for the job. So don't think in the box that somebody else draws for you. You know, have a nice glass of wine and look over that spoiler list and really think outside the box. Really think, like, how far can you push this card? What is this card really trying to do? What is it telling me? You know, it's not about good and bad cards. It's not about what's a good speculation and a bad speculation. So try to form your own ideas. That's great advice. I love it. 
So uh, on that note, thanks again, Kelly. And uh, quietspeculation.com is your website. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much for having me. Man. It's always a pleasure. And I hope to catch up with you guys at a uh, Baltimore 5K or something real soon. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye. Peace. All right, I'm here with Adam Staborski, uh, writer for Serious Fun on DailyMTG.com and, and Manonation.com and also on ThePopperCube.wordpress.com. And uh, we're both uh, kind of tired after a long day of uh, me running around and pulling the uh, bonehead play of the month uh, for myself, um, which would be uh, locking the keys to the store in the store after round four while everyone was waiting for me to go and finish the standings and hand out prize product. Kind of the important part. Yeah, that's the part that a lot of people like is getting handed packs at the end of the day. Um, Someone else closed up the store. He left. He locked the doors and my keys were sitting under a pile of papers on the uh, counter. So, uh, (laughs) fantastic. That was a pretty awesome bonehead move. Uh, A lesson learned. Maybe. Uh, time will tell with that. Um, so um, you've spent two days now playing against people's sealed pools, playing against intro decks, playing against... you played against draft decks at all? Um, not really. It's been mostly the, the sealed decks. Um, you know, Gunslinging, that's, uh, you know, that's how you, you earn the prize. So uh, a lot of people just, you know, slap, the, slap their sealed deck down like, let's go. Right, and um, so... Obviously, you've seen a lot of people's builds at this point, right? Yep. What do you think the, um, like, what are some of the most common themes you see or recurring things that you see uh, when you're playing uh, in Scars of Mirrored and Sealed? Um, well, I mean, the, the most, you know, the most common thing I just saw was just people pick, you know, piling as many, whatever color, the deepest playables, just piling that with artifacts and seeing where they got that, got them, uh, you know, just taking the easy build. Um, in terms of successful sealed decks, um, the ones that I've seen have have really varied. Um, red, white, um, you know, red, green that has you know good artifact destruction, good enchantment resistance. Um, they they seem to be you know the 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 aggressive build. Um, and then there's also the you know you can get the metal the metalcraft builds in there where you've got the there's this uh, there's this three three when you have metalcraft it's a six six with haste when it comes into play you know um, with flight spell bomb I, I got you know thirteen to the face thanks to that you know pretty much and you know it, any any of the metalcraft builds um, you know seem to be pretty strong it's, it's really really easy to get the metalcraft going and um, keep it there isn't uh there wasn't as much of an opportunity to break metalcraft as i thought there would be because there's a, a lot of good equipment at common and uh that kind of clutters up the clutters up things because you kill the creatures but they still have metalcraft thanks to the equipment hanging around so um the other the other build that i saw a lot was uh black green uh and like black artifact with some green uh poison in fact um you know blight mamba was uh was pretty good there's a lot of infects so it's pretty easy to kill blight mamba um, get around the regeneration effect, but if you're if you're not really running the poison build, it can be really annoying because it just grinds uh, it grinds my blockers down. That's what it did to me a couple times. Um, the uh, uh, the thing that the thing that surprised me most was um, the mixed builds. Um, I had a I had a blue black build on uh, on Saturday yesterday, and um, it had flyers uh, like sky eel schools and a necrogen scutter, and um, it had some infect dudes, you know, uh, contagious nim stuff like that, and so. It, I, I both kill people with poison and kill people with damage. I could go either way, and uh, really, um, the thing that I noticed the most was their their 
seemed to be two different diff- two different ways people were playing with infect creatures. Either they, they were using them really aggressive to kind of push through for poison damage, or they would use them defensively just to knock out bigger things. And um, and I found success with both. Um, you know, really, it's um, it's really interesting the way the way the mechanic works in both ways. You can use it very aggressively and kind of put people um, up to seven poison counters pretty quick. Um, as, I, as I definitely saw, but um, defensively they're really difficult to, to try and overwhelm because they, they make your best attackers a lot weaker. And um, you know it was it was good. I saw a lot of different things. Um, you know I think there's I think there will be a lot of different builds that can come out of a sealed pool. Awesome. Um, so let's kind of kind of going into like maybe some individual cards. What do you think? Let's just go like three biggest pains in your ass like from all weekend like the three cards every time I hit the table you would just go oh my god I have to deal with this what were the hardest things to deal with all weekend I got lucky and I didn't see any of the planeswalkers um, I heard some pretty pretty bad cough beats and Elspeth beat stories um, the three cards that really caused me fits uh, number one is precursor golem um, you know it's it can come down on turn five and it's a you know three 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 bodies is, is really sh- really strong you know it's just hard to unless you unless you happen to have that uh you know that spell you know that can really it handles it instantly whether it's like grasp darkness um you know molten slag something like that um you know it definitely it definitely gets a lot of card advantage um you know i that's how i lost i mean i the deck that i the blue black deck that i had yesterday didn't have uh you know i didn't have disperse in the in the main deck i didn't have i didn't have a grasp of darkness i literally had no answer for it and the first time i saw it it just it just ate me alive. I just couldn't fight through um, that many bodies that fast. Um, probably the two other cards that that, that really um, really ground me down. Uh, Corpse Cur. It's the uh, the four mana two two infect, and it gets back to an effect guy. And so for um, artifact creature hound, by the way. Yes. Uh, doesn't look like a dog at all, but let's not go into the art. The uh, just um, be. Because the infect guys can really grind your your offense down, um, you know the that getting you know getting the infect board cleared away and having them play that or having them play that when they have uh, um, the Praetor, um, I forget what that's called the the black infect lord. It's just you know it just it, there's just a sinking feeling is you know you, you you just can't you just can't overwhelm that you know it just really takes out all all of your resources that you devote to it. Um, and the third card that really caused me fits was Glint Hawk. Um, you know, and the idol, and then, you know, the, I, 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 I kind of lumped the, uh, Kemba Skyguard in there, the 2-2 that gains you life. Just the little 2-2 flyers, um, seem to really go the distance. There, there aren't too many flyers in the set. Um, it seems, you know, the infect is like the kind of, you know, alternate ability, uh, that the creatures seem to have. So the, the flyers seem a lot fewer, and, um... You know they they get a lot of damage in, especially when you start throw some equipment on them. It's hard to uh, it's hard to it's hard to get out of the hole when you're um, when you can't block in the air or you, your flyer. Uh, you know you you don't have something that that reaches up there. Um, you know I definitely lost several games to uh, to to the little hawks just swinging in over and over. I just couldn't get enough uh, enough resistance up there to, to slow them down. Cool. So um, I'm guessing you also. Um played some games against the against the intro decks right did you play a lot yesterday against the intro decks or i actually didn't i actually didn't see one all day um being the big pre-release i think that you know i think everybody was really excited to do sealed flights um there were also drafts firing so i think a lot of the people that that 
maybe weren't quite quite as confident about doing a sealed or or didn't want to spend that much time waited for the drafts or came later and and jumped in on draft flights i mean i believe there was 10 or 12 sealed flights i want to say i mean don't quote me on that um but um the the big pre-release i, I didn't see i didn't see any intradex today i played the uh the blue red one um you know it's like blue red metal craft and and things and i got crushed by the by you with your poison your infect deck yeah i had to i had to rock the infect deck today i was like man i used to play uh I used to play like Marsh Vipers and stuff back like you know 15 years ago. I was like, man, I gotta. I was like, I want. I, I had a, I hadn't had a chance to touch the set yet, and at, to this point, like the only thing I've played um, of Scars of Mirrodin is that intro deck, and I think that one game that we played. I think that's it. That's all I played like the whole time. Um, but so you, so, you, so you got to live the dream at, at my poisonous expense. That is correct. I think it might be the first time I ever won with poison counters, um, so that's pretty great. Um, but it was it was actually a lot of fun. I wanted to play with that mechanic. That's why I was like, that's why I grabbed that one because I was like, here's a new mechanic, and this deck is just mono mechanic, you know. So I figured, uh, you know, I'll just give it a try, and I wound up really liking it. It was a lot of fun. Like, and I was I, like when you were describing the infect guys kind of exactly what I was doing. Like I was trying to do a little bit of both. Like I was coming in wherever I could, but I had that one, one guy who was pumped by the Lord and then got the plus two plus two bonus. Mm-hmm. So I could just Ic- keep Iker claw mirror. Yeah. Iker claw mirror. I could keep attacking into like your five, five artifact dudes and they would, you know, I would drop them down to one ones, and he would die. And then I would use the cur to get back the mirror and play it again, and just keep doing that over and over again. You, you also had the turn five Praetor or turn four Praetor, which is just like, you know, it's it's just a it's unless you unless I I, I couldn't find any I, the the blue red deck has multiple ways of dealing with it. You know, three galvanic blasts being the primary ones, and I used uh, Riddle Smith. I dug as hard as I could. I just could not get something that got the Praetor off the board. Um, you know, because when you cast the Kerr, it's like, okay, I get a poison counter. No, I get two because you're definitely going to replay that other infect creature you just got back. It's just really, it makes it really easy to, to finish off. So, um, w- let's go on to like, um, the, uh, what cards do you think just kind of off the top of your head? I don't necessarily mean like, in terms of like tier one constructed playables or whatever, but what mm-hmm. cards do you think um, may have seen a little more hype than they deserved, like leading up to the release? Like, what cards did you play against where people were like, oh, this card's gonna be so good, and then they play it and you kind of just like shrug at it? Maybe not even because you have the answer, but because it's just not gonna do enough to, you know, really affect you. I honestly don't know. I, uh, I didn't really, um, I didn't really follow any too many of the uh, you know too many of the the set reviews before the sets out um, kind of things. Um, I mean, I, I have some suspicions about cards that maybe maybe a little a little higher or maybe a little underrated. Um, I mean, I think the more the more I got to see Mimic Bat at work, um, it was just a really interesting um, really interesting uh, way of, of of having like a clone uh, clone effect because you can you can swap it out for different things and um, you can kind of keep stuff out of a you can also keep something out of a graveyard I saw somebody doing that yesterday and it was um, really interesting you know the that they bounced a corpse cur um, 
killed uh you know killed killed the nim and then locked it under a vat so he couldn't get the get the uh um the nim back right away you know i thought that was really clever you know it's not exact you know and he gets to make his own his own infects with it too and for colorless you know it's um you know that was pretty neat to see um you know so uh you know i i think uh, i think i'll let the the deck builders kind of kind of get a little more of a feel for what's going on I'm still, I still would like to hear your suspicions. What other cards do you think might be? I mean, just what cards do you think are might be overrated, underrated? Um, you know, doesn't you don't have to be right. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's fine to have a little egg on my face. You know, I I'm not feeling Venser quite as much as what other people do. I I'm, I'm hearing rumblings of some sort of deck and that you know something's flying around, but um, you know I feel that that the things that he does. Um, you know, I'm not seeing the I'm not seeing the connection for what blue white would want to do. Um, you know, especially a more typical, you know, um, like a blue white controlish kind of build. You know, I think that when shards of if shards of Alaro block was still in, um, you know, that there's definitely more aggressive blue white potential. You know, and and you know, being able to say five mana my creatures are unblockable is fine, but there's also four mana sleep that does the exact same thing, uh, or just about the same thing. You know, there aren't too many uh, you know too many creatures with flash anymore, so. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that Vencer gets to do something really cool. I really like the blink effect. I think it's neat. You know, I think he's kind of like what's tipped me over to finally make a blue-white EDH deck. You know, because I don't have enough apparently. But um, you know, I, I, I don't see. You know, I, I'm just having real trouble visualizing him doing. You know, doing something um, in a tournament. Right on. Um, I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, like the way I look, at, the way I feel about Vencer is like, it's like Nissa Ravain. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Nissa is like, oh my god, search for all my elves and put them all into play. But it's like, you gotta, like, get there first. Like, you know, you gotta get the counters up. I mean, yeah, and if, if you're playing, like, a control deck and you want to get that emblem, you know, because the emblem ability is, is pretty ridiculous, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, you start turning your you start turning your, your card filtering and, and your, every, you know, every little, every little spell you play, your mana leak suddenly doesn't just doesn't just necessarily counter a spell. Even if it's not going to counter it, you're still removing, you know, still exiling something. So, um, you know, I, that, that emblem, I think, is probably the one of the strongest, um, just in terms of, of what can be done with it. But um, you got to get there first. Yeah, I mean, if there were if there were things like Muldrifter or you know just uh, other really other really good comes into play effects or enters battlefield effects, um, you know, I'm just I'm just coming up short seeing where seeing what. Um, what Venser would do. I mean, bouncing a Sun Titan seems amazing, but you know that's a lot. That's a lot of setup, you know. And you know, I, you know, I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just still struggling with that disconnect. You know, what do you? What is Venser bouncing that makes him? You know, that not only just protects him, but just you know, is also good on its own. Even if you only get to do it once, is it worth it? Right. Well, you know, hopefully the uh, like you said, hopefully the deck builders will uh, <laughs> will show us uh, what we might be missing. I know Joe likes it. You know what I mean? Joe definitely likes the card. Um, Is there a blue card Joe doesn't like? Discombobulate. Um, I'm pretty sure he's played it before. I would bet. I would bet money he's played it before, especially in a limited environment. I'm sure he's cast it at some point. Of course, it's it's it. It says counter and spell somewhere on it and it doesn't say like put a counter on target spell like it you know so yeah definitely um any other cards that like you think might be overrated underrated whatever i think elspeth is a little bit better than maybe some people give her credit for like you know yeah she doesn't cost four anymore um but three dudes is um is awesome like i really you know like you know i'm not even looking at her as like you know gain life 
you know, just being able to make that many tokens, um, you know, protect yourself a little bit. I mean, gaining life is, is fine, especially if you're getting into, you know, against an aggressive deck or you're in a racing situation, you know, you know, making three dudes and then getting some life the next turn, you know, might be a way to, to go. But, um, you know, churning out a lot of tokens, especially when there's Eldrazi Monument, um, Beastmaster Ascension, you know, I think that you don't need a necessarily a, you know, a, a really smart interaction. You know, you, you make enough dudes and just, if you already have enough, you can just, you know, that's just what puts you over and, and gets you the rest of the way. You know, I think it's, um, I think she's much more aggressive than the original. I actually, I feel the same way about Elspeth, but I feel the same way for another reason. Um, Navinral's disc is good, right? Like, you would say Navinral's disc was a pretty good card. Like, maybe, I mean, like, if it were in standard right now, it would be a pretty awesome card, right? It would be, be amazing. We'll take it, yeah. It is in standard right now. It's Elspeth. You play the Elspeth, mm-hmm. and it's one turn. You know what I mean? Okay, with Voltaic Key, of course, it would be even better. Uh, yeah, I mean, being able to do it instantly, I think, is very different from giving giving your opponent a chance to to play around it or prepare for it. Right, but if you're playing, like, Wall of Omens and, you know, other ways to defend against it or other maybe other token-generating cards, mm-hmm. um, you play an Elspeth, you've got a way to defend her, the next turn, you blow up the world. I mean, I just think that's pretty damn good you know I, I think that like and the fact that it hits planeswalkers is significant like and it and, and she doesn't kill herself and she doesn't die from using her ability right she goes to six i think um to do the life gain thing and then it's minus five to blow up everything but her and tokens yeah i mean if, if that's correct it sounds it sounds interesting i mean you know I, I just remember planar cleansing from M10, and that hit planeswalkers and basically wiped you know wiped the board clean. Um, you know the thing about the thing about Elspeth, you know, is that that one turn I think is, you know, it was that was the that was the crux of, of using disc was that yes you can you can clear away everything, but there's one turn you know, and that one turn is you know is is an opening for vulnerability. Um, you know I. If, if Elspeth sticks around, you know, I, I think that's right, um, you know, and then you gain life, I mean, even if you gain zero, you know, uh, is the, you know, I don't think your opponent's going to be coming out fast enough to, to recover from that, you know, I, I, I can see that being strong, you know, I'm just, um, I'm just not convinced that, that the one turn, you know, I mean, it's like a, it's like a wrath suspend, you know, that that one turn lets your opponent, um, you know, kind of prepare, and it, it may not be as it may not be as strong as as you know just playing Wrath of God against wiping out creatures, especially when you have Elspeth, because you can just play Elspeth, gain life, and then next turn Wrath of God make make some dudes. You know, I feel like that might might be um, sorry Day of Judgment, not Wrath of God, but the the that. I, that's what I would feel I would want to do is just you know get control of the, just get control of the board straight away you know I, I'm not you know uh, unless there's some sort of you know combination of artifacts that you know I'm not too, I'm not too concerned about clearing away everything. Sure, I, I just think I mean I, I definitely think that people are um, nuts about Koth right now and I think for really good reason it's pretty awesome but like people are kind of like. I, feel like I, I really like Koth. I think he's great. Yeah. I think anyone who likes magic likes Koth. <laughs> Koth's pretty awesome. It's like... Except Joe. Joey. No, uh, that's actually on the top of his list above uh, above Venser and Elspeth. He wants Koths more than anything. Is it because they're worth something? Because... I think is, it's... Is, is I, he, is he going to make a blue-red deck? I think it's because he thinks... <laughs> <laughs>
No, I, I, no, I honestly, I think it's because he thinks that card's going to increase in value more than the other ones. Okay. Um, which is why he's trying to pick those up now is kind of weird. I mean, they're all at 50. Spe- uh, just speculating, yeah. Sure. Um, you know, they're, you know, you get lucky if you get one under 50, you know, but, like, they're all 50 right now, and I guess he feels that of the three, that's the one that's going to see the, the uptick, and the other ones might go down slightly, you know? Um, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, Elspeth... Um you know, El- uh, Elspeth Knight Errant was he peaked at what like forty, forty-five, somewhere in there. May have may have even peaked at fifty, but uh, don't quote me on that. Yeah, I mean, I just you know, if you if you believe in the in the magical four mana planeswalker, you know, Mendoza line that that's where that's where the planeswalkers get good is that and under, you know, the the five mana Elspeth um, compared to four mana. You know, if, I don't know, like you know, I I, I I I can I don't see them all staying at fifty, but you know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure necessarily. Koth will go up much more. I, I disagree with that. With that speculation, but sure. Moving on, uh, you uh, actually managed to pick up a whole bunch of uh, foil commons and uncommons for your uh, for your various um, for your EDH cube decks, EDH offered. decks stuff like that. Uh, and talk about a couple of the things you picked up, maybe, and why you like them. And you can even just you know talk about ones you've already talked about if you want to hold the suspense for people checking out your blog you know i mean some of the stuff that i mentioned you know uh, already is like withstand death i mean i've I picked up two of those in foil um you know not because i'm trying to pimp out some sort of you know magic green fnm deck but um you know just i really like the the kind of cards that that give an effect that people aren't expecting you know it's a unique it's a unique effect you know make some make a creature indestructible um, you know, and I think that using that, to, that not just in, not just in a uh, popper cube where you can win creature battles or you counter, you know, it reads basically counter target black removal or counter target red removal, you know, making something indestructible is, is nice. Um, you, you win creature battles, you can, you can save your chump blocker for a turn, um, you know, and, and doing that with infect seemed like, uh, something that I, I saw, you know, block with, block with a, a 2-2 uh, Nim, make him indestructible, and the next turn, you know, it's even, you know, it gets to stick around and continue doing its grind-you-out thing. But um, for, for EDH especially, where there's so many Wrath Effects, so many, um, so many ways that green can just, you know, f- really fall behind on the card advantage, uh, you know, being able to save, you know, your best creature for just one mana um, seems, you know, seems pretty good. And people, I, I don't think it'll be on, on the radar right away. Um, you know, one green mana isn't going to read... Oh, one of you know one uh, his uh, his woodfall primus is indestructible, you know, or his uh, you know his um, uh, silk lash spider that can wipe the wipe the air is indestructible. You know, I think that um, you know that those kind of unique and surprising effects are the things that that I, at least I I look to pick up. Cool, excellent. Okay, so this uh, so scars of Mirrodin is coming out October first, two thousand ten. And there are launch parties happening all over the planet, I'm guessing. Um, we're doing Two-Headed Giant Sealed for our launch party. We're not even doing, like, we're not doing a, a sealed event. We're not doing booster. We're doing Two-Headed Giant Sealed because we always try to do Two-Headed Giant Sealed events as side events for our main, as our for our pre-releases. Mm-hmm. But as you saw... We couldn't even get eight people together for a draft afterwards, and that probably had a lot to do with me locking the keys in the store and having an extra, like, 20 minutes lull between, like, this tournament actually ending and giving out product. One of the things that we figured out this weekend is that in Two-Headed Giant, you still only need ten poison counters to kill somebody. 
like po- like I look at poison creatures, and when I'm counting poison damage, I'm doubling their power. Because that's what it feels like. Because I can't remove the counters anyway. It's like just simply as if I was just taking twice the da- twice the damage to my life. And um, and so that way I started blocking sooner than I normally would because instead of looking at ten as you know as eight is and that's dangerous, I'm looking at as five as that's dangerous because that's effectively I'm I'm dipping down to down below ten life, ten virtual life I should say. But um, yeah, intuitive giant infect seems you know frightening on so many levels. Like it just it's like did you open awesome infect pool? If not, look for awesome infect killers and blockers. If not, hope and pray. Like. I, you know, I'm seriously. You know, I, I'm I'm a little intimidated by the idea of how how much more powerful effectively because it effectively it effectively almost triples or quadruples the the virtual power because you only need you still only need ten poison counters on a player, and um you know uh, the thing is you can choose which head it gets assigned to. So if you feel generous, you could just like do a coin flip and assign randomly. But um, I suspect that some people will will actively choose to apply them only to one head. Yeah. So I'm I'm definitely looking. Uh I'm looking forward to getting uh, Joe M Team G taps back together for the uh, two-headed giant sealed event. That's our uh, what's well, one of our terrible uh, two-headed giant names that we've come up with. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so that's going to be really exciting. Um, trying to trying to run poison. Hopefully he'll let me rock it. Uh, and it could be fun. Um, it looks awesome. Looks exciting. I mean, I, I wish I had opened like the poison. Like that's what I wanted to open. Playing sealed was was green black poison with just good equipment. Just you know, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. Okay, so thank you very much for coming, and we really appreciate it and look forward to doing it again, man. It's always a pleasure. I love uh, I love playing magic. Anytime I get to to sit around and, and have a steady stream of just different people and different experiences, uh, get to hear a lot of different things, and it's, and it's always great. Thank you. Goodbye. EOMTG Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. Visit our website, IWantMyMTG.com, for past episodes, t-shirts, free stickers, and more. You can contact us at YoMTGTaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at YoMTGTaps. Okay, so this was pretty lame. So it was like me and Adam and uh, Kevin and Johnny. And uh, Kevin and Johnny are roommates. That's where Adam crashed. And uh, we go to the Diz. And Johnny and Kevin are sitting next to each other. Me and Adam are sitting next to each other. So what do, they, what do we do? Me and Adam order a pitcher of Yingling. And they order two waters. Right? Yep. And then when it came time to order food, we ordered... Johnny and Kevin both had the cod sandwich. Yep. And me and Adam both had the bourbon pepper bacon provolone burger, medium rare. Yep. <laughs> so it really did uh, give off the impression that we were on a double date. Uh, I was under the impression that we were on a double date. I'm a little sad now that you're telling me that, that it wasn't. Um, I, I really enjoyed our time together, Joe. I thought it was meaningful. I, I actually just thought we were going to, like, you know, flip a coin or something and see who goes home with who. But, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you really just wanted it to be that personal connection, you know, we could always do this again. I would uh, agree. I, I'd love to come up and, and go to the Disney with you again. That's fantastic. What are you doing on Tuesday, man? 
I'm working at home. But we'll, we'll work something out. Oh, maybe yeah. you know, maybe in a couple months when I come through Baltimore again, you know, I'll call you up. I'd come work at home with you. 